Hey friends, welcome to 1000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. So last week, uh, we heard the first half of Krista Wells' talk from the Cofferstow Retreat back in 2016 uh, called Imagination, Seeing the Far Side of the Mountain. And we're just going to pick up right where we left off. So if you haven't heard that first part yet, uh, go back to the last episode and you can you can listen to that. As I mentioned last time, Krista spoke back in 2016 at Cofferstow, which is a weekend retreat. It's all about nurturing the call to create. Um, creativity is something that's just built into humans. We're made in the likeness of the capital C Creator. And whether you think of yourself as an artist or not, you really are made um, to be a creative participant in this ongoing, living work of art that God Himself is making. Uh, We really do get to imagine and live out our little storylines with God, and He's weaving them all together into this massive, overarching, beautiful narrative. Um, that reminds me of of this little card that sits on my desk that my friend Lancia sent me, and it says, "It says this great story in which we are privileged to play a part has the very best of endings." Um, I love that, and I love having that reminder on my desk. And that's that's what Cofferstow is all about. It's uh, discovering that story and learning how to live in that story, in that promise. So this June 14th through 17th in Cincinnati, Ohio, we'll meet for another Cofferstow retreat, and I'd love for you to be there. Uh, We've got speakers and musicians, visual arts, dance, good food, coffee, all in a really beautiful location. All the meals and accommodations are taken care of, so you can just come and immerse yourself in a beautiful, restful time. Um, I'm praying that you will come and be encouraged, that you will remember how much your life matters, uh, how the choices you're making are taken up and woven in to the great tale of God's incredible redemption of all things. So, with that in mind, visit cofferstow.com. You can learn more about that, and you can register. So, but for now, let's get back to part two of Crystal Wells' talk, uh, Imagination, Seeing the Far Side of the Mountain. Here's Crystal Wells. Given that Christianity assumes there's this great journey and this destination on the other side, that there's always more coming, what are some of the things that keep us from living imaginatively, from going against the grain of culture or suggesting a new way? What are those things? Charlie Peacock has a couple great books. Um, One was called At the Crossroads. And... um, in it, he talks about how crazy it is to try to have this Christian genre because genre is all about reducing, narrowing content to identifiable language so that when people are 
changing station, radio stations, they can quickly tell, oh, okay, this is Christian because they used these words. Or, and he's like, but the gospel is an ever-expanding um, story that our brains are never, ever going to be able to comprehend, much less articulate in completion. So we, every song we, should, we are writing about the nature of God and humans in the world, it could conceivably look entirely different. I mean, if, if people are not tired of writing romantic love songs and trying to find a fresh new way into that, then how much more should we have to say about the God who created romantic love, you know? Um, it should just never get old. Um, can somebody pull out that bookmark in, that Matthew put in and read that? Oh, you just you can read it. I just loved that. The trumpet of imagination, like the trumpet of the resurrection, calls the dead out of their graves. I don't you love that? A call trumpet that calls the dead out of their graves. I think that is completely true. I think we are looking around the world at a lot of half-dead people. And just, you walk into a room and, and bring a little bit of creativity and it's like, ooh, you know, people wake up and um, this is the life we were meant to live. It's not about salvation alone. It's what we were saved to. What we are being saved to is a life of abundance. And um, so it's, I think we've got to get beyond just the idea that mental assent to a set of doctrines or creeds is enough. That might be enough to ensure eternity in heaven, but is that enough for heaven here? Is that enough to bring the kingdom here? I, I, on the uh, resistance, so pragmatism um, is one thing, and I think also um, a dread of uncertainty is another one. I was reading about this too this week in preparation for this, that um, people are really open to creativity, or they have a bias against creativity if they see uncertainty, the idea of uncertainty in a negative light, which humanity, humankind historically has because it gets you killed if you're uncertain. You don't recognize the tiger in front of you as a tiger immediately, you're dinner. So you have to um, kind of retrain your brain to embrace a certain degree of uncertainty and mystery. And that is hard for us Christians, but again, we are mystic, we are mystics, you know, we're believing in an invisible God, we're all about that. So, um, and then I think another one that came up in a conversation earlier, and I think this is huge on a micro level, is um, that we've had negative experiences with vulnerability in our past. So. You know, it doesn't take a child really more than once uh, to, to be humiliated or shamed or rejected. And that, that's with them, you know. Um, it's, not un, in, it's not irreparable, but it does shape us, what we receive in those early years. Um, when I was in high school, um, we, move, we were moving a lot, so we moved before, like we moved in the middle, before fifth grade, in the middle of sixth grade, before ninth grade, and before eleventh grade. And um, a couple of those were big moves. We moved, we lived in Germany for a while, and when we came back, we lived in Washington, D.C. in ninth grade, and I went from a tiny little military school to a great big school with a lot of rich people. And my dad was in the army, and I was used to being where everybody shopped at the commissary and the PX, and um, 
I remember being in line one day in ninth grade in the cafeteria, and I only knew like two people in my lunch hour. So it was terrifying just to go going in there, because I didn't know if they were going to be there that day or what was going to happen. And I was in line one day, and I had hand-me-down clothes, and um, which are fine, except these. I also had come from Germany again, so my hairstyle was a few years behind. <laughs> um, everything was just kind of wrong about me at that point. And I was standing in line, and some girls, and I happened to think this outfit I had put together was kind of cute. Um, and these girls standing behind me, I, I heard them talking about me, and they said, um, they're like, oh, I guess she thinks she's cute with those yellow shoes, and those, that doesn't even match, and da, da And I just remember, like, being completely, just wanting to die. I just wanted to die. My face just was all red, I was splotchy, and I just, you know, and, and much of that high school um, experience was kind of like that for me, and I would come home and cry, please homeschool me, please homeschool me, and my mom was like, that, I don't even know what that is really, or how that's done. <laughs> it wasn't like it is today. Um, and I, about 10 years later, wrote a song about that experience, and um, the thing, I guess, and I, I'm taking longer to say everything that I meant to, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but... Um, if you are somebody who experienced some kind of shame or humiliation as a kid and you stopped putting your hand in the air because of that, I just want to say to you that that wasn't even you being seen in that moment. Um, the people who, who put that on you aren't people who could see you. And so the song that I wrote um, in my early 20s, um, here, close your eyes for a minute because I don't want you looking at me while I sing right now, but I'm going to sing this chorus. Um, that I wrote. It's called Invisible. Um, and the chorus was, they're not talking about her. It isn't her they're putting down, when, though they point and push and pound. Because she's invisible. They've never even looked at her. They've never heard her sing. And it might change everything. But today, she's going to be invisible. That um, song meant a lot to me in healing from that years later. And I just think it's so true that you are seen, but if people are treating you badly and rejecting you, it's because they don't know you. They're not seeing you through God's eyes. Frederick Beekner said, if we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors with our imagination as well as our eyes. That is to say, like artists, we must see not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Here it is love that is the frame we see them in. Seeing God and heaven, believing in that. My uh, son said the other day, what if there is no heaven? What if we're wrong? And I was like, yeah, what if we're wrong? Um, what kind of life has that believing in the idea of heaven, what kind of person is that making you into? What kind of life is that leading you to create? Um, is that a bad thing, you know, in the end? Seeing others, it changes our world, changes our communities. Um, a few years ago, my pastor said, hey, why don't you guys start a small group in your neighborhood? 
And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you talking about like talking about God with my neighbors? Because I have a good thing going with my neighbors. And if I invite them to a Bible study, it's going to ruin the whole thing. And I seriously, I mean, that's terrible. But that's what I thought. Like, I know they know that I'm a believer, but we don't need to like talk about it. You know, we don't need to. <laughs> so, but of course, it's one of those things where you're like, I know. I know you're going to make me do this, God. So I started inviting um, neighbors to come over, and I said, you don't have to believe in God. This is, like, about Christianity. It's just the bare bones. Like, we're just going to talk about why Christians believe what they do. But you can have whatever opinions you have. And, do you know, I was amazed. I would, I would literally be shaking asking people. I'd be like, uh, um, you probably don't want to do this, but, like, you know. And, um, and one of the most fantastic things that happened is this woman who said yes right away. I had found her very intimidating before. And she, she was all in. She and her husband, John, were there every, every single time we had a gathering. We started also hosting house concerts. I do house concerts at other people's homes, but I wanted to start hosting my friends as they came through town. And um, so we used that as another way to bring our community together. There was no existing space that where my community gathered except for swim team in the summer. And people kept coming and coming to our Bible study even though they were never converted. They, um, they, they continue to not believe some of these people. My friend Mary, who I was just mentioning, she to this day does not believe in the God that I believe in, but she will come to everything because she's so hungry for community and to be seen and to be loved. And she loves to sing karaoke. And... She loves to, to debate the things of God and philosophy. And she gets teary when you even talk about the idea of her children possibly or children being sinners. That just breaks her heart. She can't take it. And it's okay. We just go there. And um, a couple years ago, her husband contracted cancer and he passed away really quickly, leaving his two 10-year-old boys behind. And I know that God had us loving Mary in advance of that um, because God knew what was coming and he planted the seed of imagination for community in our hearts. And now she is going to host me and let me stay with her and she's going to take care of me after my house is sold and I'm in transition. Um, I didn't think I had enough stuff to talk about. Now I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into this, um, but seeing, seeing yourself imaginatively, I think that's important too. Because seeing myself as better than I actually was when I was younger helped me to traverse you know, scary terrain. I never, ever wanted to be in front. I, when I was a child, I wanted to be Amy Grant. But as soon as I got to college, I was like, uh, I don't like being in front of people. I want to be a songwriter because I stay at home and be behind the piano. But, um, but this is, you know, the work that I'm doing now is the work that I need to be doing. And it took a lot of imagination for me to see myself as somebody who had something to say and that to imagine that God can deliver even when we're not really delivering well, even the nights where I totally screw it up and I'm like crying over the piano or I can't remember any chords or whatever, sometimes those are the nights where people receive the most. And that's about imagining God is bigger than, than our mess. Two more things and then we're gonna finish. Um, if we are 
going to allow that imagination can bring life, we also have to allow that imagination can bring death. And I just um, don't actually think about it that that much because it's almost taken for granted. I almost take it for granted that all imagination is holy imagination, but it's not. I have done damage with my overactive imagination. Um, I have injured relationships in my life. I have escaped when I should have been checked in. Um, in the book, The Book Thief, have you guys read that or about World War II? Um, one of the characters says, Hitler didn't even have to pick up a weapon to cause destruction. He killed with an idea. It was his idea that was so powerful. And so um, I do think I, we always have to remind ourselves to come back to love God and love neighbor and that it's all born out of, out of a desire to image our creative God and not to serve ourselves. Um, and the last thing is the importance of collaborative imagination, which we were talking about at our table this morning, and, and that made me think I should mention it, um, that we aren't meant to go it alone in this life. And I was at the Motown Museum a few years ago and just literally was moved to tears by the amount of joy in that building, like just all the great, fantastic music that came out of these musicians who worked together in that space. And, and I realized in that moment that I had been really precious about my work. And, I, it's okay to want to work alone, but it's also okay to make space to work with others and go, I would never have thought of that by myself. Um, this last two years has been uh, definitely hands down the hardest two years of my life um, for a lot of reasons that I can't even share because <clears throat> the stories are not all my stories. When, we, when one person suffers, um, the people around that person who love that person suffer. And there's a lot of collateral damage that um, I'm dealing with right now. Um, and for a while, I couldn't share almost any of it with anybody. And then the Lord opened up some relationships that were safe and different people can receive different parts of the story. And my parents, <clears throat> a few months ago, started um, being part of that. And they, uh, my mom keeps using this word collaboration and I just love it because she's like, you're not doing this alone. You're, she's like, we are gonna collaborate and I, we are with you. You just, you know, we're in this together. And the Lord brought my good friend Taylor Linhart into my life about a year ago. She asked if she could move in with me because she needed a place to stay. Um, Taylor, and I have collaborated this year. <laughs> and we've imagined together. And I said, Taylor, what would I have done without you this year? And she said, what would I have done without you? And um, that's the whole Trinity thing that Matthew was mentioning this morning, that God modeled that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in perfect harmony. And that's what we're meant to do, too. Um, I don't want to keep going. I just want to close, close it out. So <clears throat> why don't you close your eyes again, because I want to just read something to you. First, I'm going to read something from Emily Freeman, friend, a friend and blogger. Um, she, she says, we have the power to spin the invisible into something we can see through our choices and our words. It sounds mythical, but really it's just living. A feeling of empathy becomes a warm meal delivered by a neighbor. 
A desire to connect becomes an email invitation extended to a friend. A loss becomes a melody in the hands of a musician. A difficult concept is worked out through story on a writer's page. We know that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. That means Jesus doesn't only live in the serving, the invitation, the finished song or story. He doesn't only show himself in the part we can touch and hold in our hands. He lives in the action, yes, but he also dwells in the longing, just as important, but sometimes more difficult to honor. He lives in our imagination as well as the daily grind. The empathy came first, then the meal. The desire for connection came first, then the email. The loss came first, then the song. The longing to understand came first, and then the story. Let's, or as we continue to learn what it means to meet him in the produce aisle at the grocery store, in that quiet conversation with a friend, in that frustrating moment with grumpy children or behind piles of paperwork, may we also learn what it means to meet him in our imagination. Let's pay attention to the thoughts before the action, to the longing before the move. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He could have shared his love with the world in any number of ways, but he asks us to have faith in something we cannot see, hands the gospel to mere men, and shares his love through story. He is asking us to honor the sacred space of our imagination. May the wisdom of our grown-up hearts sing well with our childlike curiosity. May we not be so quick to dismiss what we cannot see with our eyes. May we be willing to see his face in the tangibles and the intangibles. As we wake up to imagination, may it be shaped around the image of God. With your eyes closed, you can go down to that water where you left your basket and pick it up and carry it up to some space on, a, on the lawn maybe, or on the beach or wherever you're at, throw down a blanket, and you can dump the contents out. And just as you're looking at it and considering the things that lay before you, consider inviting other people to join you on that blanket. Consider seeing God himself squat down and <laughs> sit beside you, maybe some friends or family members. Imagine that you might have something that somebody needs. Imagine that next time you might do better. Imagine that you are capable of not being a slave to anxiety. Imagine that your faults are not what define you. Imagine that God is real and that God loves you. Imagine that your neighbors could become your friends and that your friends could become your family. Imagine that you could forgive the person who wounded you and that the future is worth sticking around for. Imagine that you're not too old and that your best years are not over. 
and hear this, that the people who overlooked you or dismissed you or shamed you when you were vulnerable, the people who didn't get it, didn't get you, they shot down your ideas, turned down your invitation, teacher or classmates who humiliated you and taught you to keep your hand down and not show your work. These people never had the vision to see you. It was not you being rejected because they never saw the beautiful, true you in the first place. You are fascinating. You are an image bearer. Your presence and your work and your heart would be missed. You absolutely matter. You are creative. You are seen. You were imagined before you were born. And you are loved. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person who's here and for this gorgeous space that we get to inhabit for a few hours. Thank you that although we're talking about invisible things, we're talking about true things, that this, this is true and real. Help us to see with your eyes. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. <laughs>